Hey everyone, welcome to the Criminality Report. Please note that this podcast was created for adult audiences only. Our episodes contain themes which may be triggering and feature content warning portraying graphic description of violence, frank discussions on sex and sexuality, conversations on mental illness, and possibly uncomfortable language. Listener and reader discretion is advised. Please take care of yourself and don't wait to seek assistance if you need it. Now, enjoy this episode. What's up, everyone? This is Lady Lily. And this is your girl, Millie Red. And welcome back to the Criminality Report. The Criminality Report. The Criminality Report. Tonight, we are continuing to discuss the DC sniper case. So last week, we gave an overview of how his ex-wife, Mildred, survived his crazy manipulation and emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. So tonight... We are going to talk about how John's anger led to traumatizing and robbing many lives. Just to reiterate from last episode, we pulled information from various books and documentaries, which will be available in the show notes. So there is a lot of information to discuss. So, lady, let's get right to it. Okay. So now I'm going to take everyone back in time to September 4th, 2001. Whoa. Yep. John Muhammad appears to court for an emergency custody hearing. He sees what he believes is his wife, Mildred, her attorney, a paralegal, and their friend, Issa, in the courtroom standing on the opposite end. To his dismay, authorities took his three children earlier, and he was unaware of what was going on. And in less than 15 minutes... John was faced with a horrible truth. He learned that he was now divorced. He no longer had custody of the kids and that Mildred can legally move them out of state without telling him where they were. He was furious. Enraged at the people involved, livid at the police for taking his kids, angry at Mildred. He wanted revenge and retribution. So he trained and plotted with 17-year-old Lee Boyd Malvo. Now, you might be wondering who Lee Boyd Malvo is. Well, Lee was born in Kingston, Jamaica in February 1985. It was reported Lee suffered abuse as a child and as a result, he disassociated from his trauma. When Lee was 14, he met John Muhammad in Antigua and Barbuda around 1999. John assisted Lee's mother in securing fake immigration documents that would allow her to immigrate to the U.S. Now, if you remember last episode, this would be around the time John kidnapped the kids Mm. and emptied the bank accounts that he shared with Mildred. John and Lee developed a rapport and the two became close. 
Lee eventually began calling him father. A scammer. <laughs> he started calling a scammer his father. Okay, proceed. Okay. But, I mean, in Lee's eyes, he's not a scammer. Mm-hmm. He saw him as a father figure. Mm-hmm. John snuck Lee into Miami and took a bus across the country to Bellingham, Washington, where they registered at the Lighthouse Mission Shelter as father and son. They also got a family membership at the local YMCA, as well as enrolled Lee in a local high school. According to Lee's interview on iSniper, after John lost custody of his children, John wanted three things. He wanted to kill the woman that betrayed him. Evil. Get his children back. Mm -mm. And punish everyone. Like why? Revenge, selfishness. Mm -hmm. I can name a lot. Mm -hmm. In Lee's mind, he wanted to satisfy John because he was the father he never had. John trained him for months to become a monster. They would go to the YMCA every day to lift weights and exercise. They followed a strict diet and frequented a local gun range for target shooting. At John's request, Lee stole a .223 caliber Bushmaster AR-15 rifle from a local gun shop. Mm. John trained Lee to complete leopard crawls in the forest, calisthenics, and target practice. It was reported that John and Lee would practice marksmanship using paper plates for heads and that Lee was required to memorize the passages from Sun Tzu, The Art of War. That's crazy. He was training him to be the ultimate killer. Yeah, like this is like guerrilla warfare. Like, mm-hmm. wow. Um, and he knew that this this young boy was looking at him as a father. So it was yep. easy for him to manipulate him. And right. <sighs> it To me, it was just so calculative. Like the, the plotting of it. Mm hmm. I mean, this man is like he's a he's the ultimate scammer. Like he was scamming women. He was scamming this child like he's scamming everyone. It's just crazy. Then the day came for Lee to prove his loyalty to John. Kenya Nicole Cook was living with her aunt Issa Nichols in Tacoma, Washington. Do y'all remember Issa? Yeah, remember? Issa is good friends with Mildred and was with her in court for the custody hearing. Yep. So on February 16, 2002, 21-year-old Kenya Nicole Cook was shot and killed by Lee Malvo at the front door of her aunt's home. Lee reported that John told him, do not make this personal. You are here for retribution and punishment. Calmly raise your hand and pull the trigger. After murdering Kenya, Lee stated he walked away as if nothing had happened. That's psychotic. I just got to, I just got like, that's really like psychotic behavior right there. And I mean, I guess like if he's, if he was able to disassociate himself from trauma, like as an early 
you know, as you know, when he was younger, like he's able to disassociate himself. Like that's his coping mechanism. To just disassociate or just, you know, like as if it's nothing. Yeah. Wow. So that was his initiation. Like into this little gang between mm-hmm. them. Between so, them two? Yeah, between them two. It was like a gang. So at the time of her murder, Kenya recently gave birth to a little girl. So Kenya's daughter was six months old when Kenya died. That's unfortunate. That's it's very sad because this child grew up without without her mother. Mm-hmm. And she'd be about 20, 21 years old. Today, yeah. Yeah. So neither John or Lee were charged with Cook's murder because they were already facing multiple charges. And the chief deputy prosecutor didn't believe a trial in Tacoma would be sensible. I have feelings on that. I'll put it that way. Because I feel like even though they they got them, there is no justice. Right. I always wonder. And I mean, I guess I get when people or like prosecutors don't prosecute for like crimes in other places because they know that um, they're going to get them. Yeah, they're, they're going to get be them. arrested. Yeah, they're going to get them for like other crimes. But still. You know, I it kind of it kind of makes it seem like they're not validating that particular crime. Right. And therefore, the family can't get their closure like they don't have the opportunity to do like an um, what is it? What is it called? When the family impact statements? Because mm-hmm. I, I don't, don't think it, I don't think it should matter because it's, it's kind of like when when someone is on trial and they give them like 400 years you know that mm-hmm. nobody's going to be in jail for 400 years. Unless they're a vampire. Exactly. <laughs> Unless they're a vampire yeah. or a zombie. But um, it's still it's still like closure for that family in a sense because they know that they're getting the time for, right. the, for the crime that they committed against their family. It's justice. It's, it, that's yeah. what it's, it's, it's called justice. Yeah. And... I mean, I know they caught them. It's just that I wish they got tried for this crime. Yeah. Yeah. It was the first one. Yeah. That was the initiation. Yes. And this one hits home. This is much more personal. Yes. This is the most personal one because of the connection to Issa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and this was the catalyst, Mm -hmm. you know, to all the other crimes. So. John and Lee moved on to the next victim. So on March 19th, 2002, Jerry Taylor, age 60, was killed by a single shot to the chest fired from long range as he practiced chip shots at a Tucson, Arizona golf course. So for those of you who are not familiar with golf, because me and Lady Lily are not, a chip shot is a low shot that is played along the ground and spends little time in the air. Chip shots are generally hit close to the green where the golfer does not need to carry the ball very far in the air and just wants to get the ball started and let it roll out towards the hole like a putt. That explained nothing. Well, you don't know (laughs) anything about golf. That's correct. I I don't I know nothing (laughs) about golf. So anyway, John's sister lived near the golf course and he was visiting her at the time of the shooting. 
So get this, Lee confessed to murdering Jerry four years after his arrest. Lee informed investigators he and John were paid $25,000 to kill Jerry. Hmm. Wow. That's sus. Very. So the identity of the person who hired John and Lee is unknown. Malvo received immunity for his confession. Say what? Yep. All right. That's what's crazy about it. it th- is that that happens. But it's just like, okay, he received immunity for, for that confession, but that confession got them what? They don't know who hired him. Right. So it's like, what was the point? He's in prison for the rest of his life anyway, but still. I feel like it does not give justice to the family. Correct. No, it doesn't. After the murder of Jerry, John and Lee would venture on a shooting spree in various states from March through July of 2002. And just kind of remember, you know, the timeline of what's going on in America right now. It's post 9-11. Um, so we're already on edge with that. Mm -hmm. So, but also at this time, no one was connecting these crimes. Right. So in the eyes of the community, it's like, this is just a, a random crime. Yeah, it is. So the identity of those impacted are unknown. Then on August 1st, 2002, John Gaeta, 51 years old was changing a tire slashed by Lee at a local mall parking lot in Hammond, Louisiana. Lee shot him in the neck. John Gator reported he played dead as Lee stole his wallet. That's scary. Yeah. Like, that's really scary. And that's really quick thinking. Yep. I was going to say really smart. Mm -hmm. Just play dead. Mm -hmm. After Lee left, Gator went to the hospital and was treated for his wounds. On September 5th, 2002, Paul LaRuffa, a 55-year-old local restaurant owner, was locking up his Italian restaurant in Clinton, Maryland. He was shot multiple times with a 22 caliber handgun and survived the shooting. John and Lee stole his laptop and $3,500 which would later be used to purchase the Chevy Caprice. Then, on September 14, 2002, 22-year-old Rupinder Benny Oberoi was shot in the back outside his job, the Hillendale Beer and Wine Liquor Store. Oberoi survived the shooting. On September 15, 2002, Muhammad Rashid was shot while closing Three Roads Liquors. He survived the shooting and identified Lee as the shooter in court. There's a lot going on right now, right? Yeah. These are all preliminary shootings. And on Ice Sniper, um, there's a documentary, Ice Sniper has like eight episodes. And this is interviews with Lee Malvoil. He was talking about how those preliminary shootings was just at times target practice and them doing robbery so that they can sustain and continue on this spree. Isn't that crazy to hear people talking about shooting like living people as target practice? Like it's nothing, just disassociating themselves from Mm -hmm. it. Like this is just nothing. We're just 
practicing shooting people for the real thing. And this is very real. Mm -hmm. This is real to all of the victims, their families. It's just scary. And Um, it's so random. How would authorities know that these are linked? Because these are in different states. They're not the same race. Right. Age. There's nothing similar. Yeah. So on September 21st, 2002, at 1215 a.m., 41-year-old Million A. Waldemarium, an Ethiopian immigrant and a part-time employee of the Sammy's Package Store in Atlanta, Georgia, was shot in the head and back with a .22 caliber pistol. Unfortunately, he did not survive the shooting. Then 19 hours later, the same day, Claudine Parker, a 52-year-old liquor store clerk in Montgomery, Alabama, was shot in the chest during a robbery. Wow. She died from her injuries. Her co-worker, Kelly Adams, was also shot and wounded but survived. Critically wounded with a shot through the neck but survived. On September 23, 2002, 45-year-old Hong Am Ballinger, who immigrated from South Korea, was shot in the head with a Bushmaster rifle in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, during a robbery. Her son was in the truck when it happened. She did not survive the attack. The family described her to be a loving spouse, parent, and sibling. So, I mean, just the terrorizing hasn't even happened yet in Maryland. And look at how many people that they've injured and killed so far. Yeah. I mean, that that's that's a lot. That's a lot of people. Yeah. And all of these, they're just considered target practice. Yeah. Or um, a means to rob and get mm-hmm. money to support their continued shooting spree. His humanity is gone. Yeah, it's like a psychotic break, honestly. Mm-hmm. In October, John Muhammad and Lee Boyd Malvo shooting spree increased exponentially. On Wednesday, October 2nd, 2002, a random shot was fired through the window of a Michael's craft store in Aspen Hill, Maryland. The bullet narrowly missed the cashier at the store. So that could have been their first victim. Mm-hmm. One hour later, 55-year-old James Martin was shot and killed in the parking lot of a Shopper's Food Warehouse grocery store. Then, on October 3rd, 2002, John and Lee terrorized Montgomery County with multiple random attacks. Mm -hmm. This all happened on October 3rd. So, I'm going to list them down. At 741... That morning, James Buchanan, a 39-year-old landscaper known as Sonny, was shot dead while mowing the grass at the Fritz Gerald Auto Malls. Then at 8.12, a 54-year-old part-time taxi driver named Prim Kumar Walakar was killed while pumping gasoline into his taxi at a mobile station. Then at 8.37 a.m., 
Sarah Ramos, a 34-year-old babysitter and housekeeper, was killed at the Leisure World Shopping Center sitting on a bench while reading a book. At the time of her murder, witness thought she died by suicide. However, forensic later proved she was indeed murdered. At 9.58 a.m., 25-year-old Lori Ann Lewis Rivera was killed while vacuuming her van. At 9.20, Pascal Charlotte, a 72-year-old carpenter who's retired, was shot and killed while he was just walking. What made this terrifying is that each victim were randomly selected Mm -hmm. and murdered by a single shot bullet from a distance. Right. There were no patterns detected and there were no solid leads for investigators to focus on, which is horrible. Naturally, fear rapidly spread throughout the community as the media alerted the nation. Can you imagine waking up to like, hearing multiple different news reports saying that these are people are randomly getting shot doing day-to-day things, things that we all do, put gas in a car, vacuum your car, walk, using a lawnmower, reading a book. I remember being in high school and um, I remember when this happened And although it was not happening like where I was, I just remember being afraid because these people were being terrorized. And and honestly, you know, at that time, we were already in a heightened state. Mm -hmm. So it was like, okay, this is happening in Maryland. Is this going to happen anywhere else? Who's yeah. Who's to say? You know, like, is this something, is this organized? Like, we didn't know what was going on. It was just like, is this organized? Like, is this going to start breaking out? Like, what is happening here? And I was just like, I just remember seeing, uh, I just remember, like, looking at the news and just seeing, like, these people were randomly getting killed, like, at Mm -hmm. the gas station. Like, it was Mm -hmm. crazy. And these are normal day-to-day activities that everyone do. And it was like, boom, boom, like one after the other, after the other, after the other, like all in one day. It was crazy. The chief of police for Montgomery County, Charles Moose, informed parents that schools were on a code blue alert and their children were safe to report to school the next day. On October 4th, 2002, 43-year-old Caroline Sewell was shot in the chest in the parking lot of another Michael store. She survived the attack. On October 7th, at 8.09 a.m., O'Ron Brown, a 13-year-old student, was shot in the chest as he arrived at Benjamin Tasker Middle School. You shooting kids? And see, at that time... You know, authorities were saying that your kids are safe at school. Mm -hmm. Schools will remain open so you don't have to worry about them. But on that day, October 7, 2002, Iran Brown, a 13-year-old, was shot in the chest. And I know the police Um, were thinking like, oh, my gosh, you know, we, we told everybody that it was safe to go to school. Actually, the chief of police, when he was doing a press release, he was so upset that he became emotional. Mm -hmm. 
Because at that point, they had no leads. Mm -hmm. His aunt, um, and this is the 13-year-old, his aunt, Tanya Brown, who's a nurse, she heroically rushed him to a hospital emergency room despite sustaining serious injuries, including damage to several major organs. Brown survived the attack and ultimately testified at John's trial. When I was watching I Sniper, the documentary, and I listened to the 911 call as his aunt was rushing to get to the hospital. It was so heartbreaking because at one point, I think there was like traffic that was blocking her way. And she was screaming like, move, get out the way. And you can hear him in the back. I don't want to die. And she's like, you're not going to die. Hold on to your wound, you know, um, just instructing him. It was profound. <laughs> After Iran was shot, investigators discovered a shell casing as well as a tarot card with a written statement that read, call me God on the front and on the back for you, Mr. Police code, call me God, do not release to the press. So the police tried not to release the evidence found at the crime scene. Much to their chagrin, the information was leaked to the press, which was shared to the public a day later. Then, as a retaliation, on October 9th, 2002, at 8.18 p.m., 53-year-old civil engineer Dean Harold Myers was shot dead while pumping gasoline at a Seneca gas station. On October 11th, at 9.30 a.m., 53-year-old businessman Kenneth Bridges was shot dead while pumping fuel at an Exxon station. On October 14th at 9.15 p.m., 47-year-old Linda Franklin, an FBI intelligence analyst, was shot dead in a covered parking lot at Home Depot. These random shootings. Random. Following the murder of Linda Franklin, the police believe they had a solid witness account. Matthew Dowdy told authorities he witnessed the sniper shooting Linda using an AK-74 semi-automatic and then left the scene in a cream-colored van with a burned-out taillight. It was later discovered that he was lying and Dowdy was tried and charged for interfering with an investigation. Like, for what? Like, why would you do that? Come on. Press, maybe? I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I don't know. By now, gas stations started putting tarps up to disguise their customers. On October 19th at 8 p.m., 37-year-old Jeffrey Hopper was shot in the parking lot near the Ponderosa Steakhouse. His wife was with him at the time of the shooting and sought out witnesses who called emergency services. Hopper survived the shooting. Investigators found a four-page letter from the shooter in the woods that requested $10 million and made a threat to harm children. He's sick, Insane. Man. On October 22, 2002, 35-year-old Conrad Johnson, a bus driver, was shot and killed at 5.56 a.m. while standing on the steps of the Grand Prix Road in Aspen Hill, Maryland. Chief Moose released part of the content of one of the shooter's letters in which the shooter declared, 
Your children are not safe anywhere at any time. That's crazy. Yeah. Now let's take a pause for a moment. Remember last episode, we talked about Mildred getting full custody of her kids and taking them to Maryland. Mildred wrote in her book, her fears increased. She explained not only did she have to watch out for a serial killer shooting people at random, she had to watch out for her ex-husband. That's so ironic. Right. Because you're not thinking that the person that's doing all of this is someone you know. Mm -hmm. You don't think that this is the person, the father of your kids is capable of doing this kind of crime, this Mm -hmm. level of crime. Yep. Although she was reunited with her kids, she was living in constant fear that her ex-husband would find her and murder her. Mildred reported in her book, many people didn't believe she was being victimized. But she was being victimized and she is a survivor. And I wonder why people didn't believe that she wasn't being victimized. I guess because he was so charismatic and well liked. During the time where he kidnapped the kids, there were people that knew about it, like that he communicated with and they kept that from Mildred. It's just crazy, right? Like, yeah. I don't understand. So the Montgomery County Police Department, MCPD, and its chief, Charles Moose, led the investigation. They also collaborated with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, ATF, the FBI, the U.S. Secret Service, the Virginia Department of Transportation, and police departments in other jurisdictions. Eyewitness accounts were unreliable. Yep. Early in the investigations, authorities received a tip that a white box truck with dark lettering sped away from the Leisure World shopping center with two men inside. Police were pulling over white vans and trucks. In Richmond, Virginia, police arrested two men, one with a white van, outside a gas station. The men turned out to be undocumented immigrants with no connection to the shooter. Mm. The, the pair were administered cavity searches and were remanded into federal custody. What was then the Immigration and Naturalization Services, which subsequently deported them. Can you believe that? I can. Mm. Like, think about it. There are killers on the loose killing people at random and a witness told police they saw a white box truck van with two people in it. Mm -hmm. So I, I wouldn't be surprised that every white box van was being searched. Mm -hmm. That's true. When in fact they were in a Chevy Caprice, Mm -hmm. a blue Chevy Caprice. Yep. And nobody would expect that. I mean, if if people are getting shot randomly, I would think people would think it would it would be like a white van. Like mm-hmm. that just would kind of fit, you know, what that would come from. So anyway, criminal profilers predicted that the sniper, listen to this, mm-hmm. was most likely white male. But that assumption was based largely on the characteristics of past serial killers. 
So the investigators, including the public, were keeping an eye out for two white men in a white box truck or van with black lettering. FBI Mm -hmm. developed a tip line and began receiving thousands of tips. The most important tip, however, came from the shooters themselves. During a call to a priest, the shooters detailed their crimes to the priest and asked him to advise the police to look into a September 2002 robbery homicide at a liquor store in Montgomery, Alabama. Like, what are you doing? Telling on themselves. Telling on themselves. Like, they wanted to get caught almost. Mm-hmm. Um, evidence recovered from the Montgomery crime scene was linked to Lee Boyd Malvo, which, ironically enough, was fingerprinted in December 2001 by the U.S. Immigration and Naturalization Service. Further investigation found that Malvo had been seen traveling with a man named John Muhammad. Through the crime scene, evidence and interviewing Lee and John's associates, it was clear the profile was wrong and authorities began to set their focus on arresting and trying them for for murder. On October 24th, 2002, authorities received a 911 call from two individuals. The dispatcher was told that John and Lee were sleeping in their car at a rest stop. Police, FBI, you know, in situations like that, they're not going to bring like two police. Right. They're going to bring like 1,500 yep. of them. I was going to say 511 billion. So they go to this rest stop and they captured them while they were still asleep. They were arrested on federal weapons charge. A stolen Bushmaster 223 caliber weapon and a bipod were found in a bag in Muhammad's car. Ballistics tests later conclusively linked the seized rifle to 11 of the 14 shootings, including one in which no one was hurt. Mildred first learned about John's involvement when detective presented to her sister's home to question her. She was completely shocked. She was certain that he would kill her, but she did not think John would plot to kill random strangers to get to her. Investigators and the prosecution believed John Muhammad's ultimate target was Mildred. They theorized the other shootings were intended to cover up the motive for the crime. Muhammad believed that the police would not focus on an estranged ex-husband as a suspect if Mildred appeared to be a random victim of a serial killer. Both Malvo and Muhammad were convicted at trial and pled guilty in multiple court cases in Maryland and Virginia. Both were sentenced to life without parole. Muhammad also received the death penalty in Virginia, and he was executed on November 10th, 2009. Lee Boyd Malvo, at 35 married a wealthy woman named Sable Noel Knapp, who's 30 years old, inside Virginia's Red Onion State Prison on March 6, 2020. When the Supreme Court restricted the imposition of life without parole sentences on juveniles, two federal courts later ruled that Malvo must be resentenced. His first application for parole was denied last year. Mm-hmm. 
I don't feel any type of way about that. I don't feel bad. I think he should stay in jail. I think he should too. Now, I mean, I'm glad that he didn't get the death penalty because again, Mm -hmm. I don't think that children should be sentenced to death, but you know, he terrorized, he He terrorized the country. That was the goal to cause mayhem. Yeah. So that John can get to his intended target, which was Mildred at the time. What's going on with Mildred and her family? Mildred is a multi-award-winning global keynote speaker, international speaker for the U.S. Department of State, certified consultant with U.S. Department of Justice, Office on Victims of Crime, certified domestic violence advocate, domestic abuse survivor, best-selling author, CNN contributor, trainer, educator, 2002 Who's Who in America, Albert Nelson Marquis Lifetime Achievement Award. This information was pulled from her website, www.mildredbahamid.com. Mildred has remarried and her children are thriving. For those experiencing domestic or intimate partner violence, there is help available. Remember your safety and the safety of your family comes first. The National Domestic Violence Hotline provides resources and support to help survivors of domestic violence be safe and take back their independence. Please call 1-800-799-7233 or text START to 88788 for assistance. So, lady, how did you feel about this story like as a whole? It's very, very heartbreaking because it shows how the lack of education on domestic violence and how people treat those who are survivors of domestic violence. Like at one point, Mildred felt like she didn't have a voice because of his emotional abuse. And if I feel like if she got the help that she needed, maybe things would not have turned out the way it turned out. You know? Yeah. It's just heartbreaking. What about you? It just was really sad because um, nobody really understood what she was going through. No. And she got a lot of hate and um, a lot of blame for Mm -hmm. his actions. And she was like, she was the very first victim. She was a victim as well. Actually, she was one of the first victims, you know, because... Mm -hmm. There's not His a lot first of, wife. Yeah. The, and um, mm-hmm. it's just it's just really, really sad how she was treated, that she was in a prison when she was with him. And um, he did all of this to ultimately unalive her. And it's just like it's just crazy. Yeah. Is unalive a word? That's the term that people use instead of saying kill. I've never said it. Okay. It's the first time I've said it. Okay. So what are we going to talk about next week, Millie? So this serial killer terrorized the valley in California from mm-hmm. like 1984 to 1985. Yep. And it's a scary name, the Night Stalker. 
So we're going to talk about the Night Stalker, a.k.a. Richard Ramirez. It's a very interesting story. It's very scary. And we're we're gonna we're gonna deep dive into into that story into that serial killer um it's terrifying uh even like when you when you look at like him in the courtroom he is very scary and epitomizes like evil so oh my yeah um but also what's interesting about him is that people really like women looked at him like he was a rock star as well it's very strange and odd so you know we we gonna dive into that so yeah so y'all can check us out on instagram and facebook at the criminality report podcast also check out our website at www.thecriminalityreportpodcast.com you can also email us at criminalityreportpodcast at gmail.com. You know, if you have a serial killer that you want us to talk about, we'll talk about it. Hit yeah, us up. Hit us, us up. up. Hit us up. Hit us up. We keep telling y'all to hit us mm-hmm. up. Hit us hit up. Hit us up. So, Lady Lily, where can they listen to our episode? As always, you can rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts again thank you for listening we have more to come yeah thank you until next week bye bye lock your doors for the millionth time (laughs) take 578 I'm like a new woman now because I'm in a hot spot. What is the name of your internet provider? Um, I don't know. I think it's dial up. (laughs) (laughs) When Lee was 14, he met John Mahabit. Mahabit. I was like, you you know, you said that before. It was like Mahabit. And I was like, so he's a hobbit? Throwing hobbits, hobbits. Shut up. Throwing hobbits, (laughs) hobbits. Throwing hobbits, hobbits. Do y'all Issa? (laughs) Issa incomplete sentence. Do y'all remember? (laughs) Do y'all remember? (laughs) Issa incomplete sentence. All right. <laughs> I was like three three words, huh? <laughs> and there's not one verb in it. <laughs> oh you know, I wanted to know what chip shots was. Yeah, what are they? I don't know. <laughs> Let's look that up. What are chip shots? Those are not those circular things that they throw out in the air. A short, for shooting. usually low approach shot in golf that lofts the ball to the green and allows it to roll oh i a was short and easy very wrong wait no i was like is it those little circular things that they throw in the air for people to use as target shooting bro <laughs> it just said a golf course <laughs> <laughs> why would they be shooting in a golf course my dude did you hear that 
I did. <laughs> was, was that coming out of your throat? Yes. <laughs> did you need to clear it? Whatever that was? I don't know. I did not need to clear it. <laughs> whatever planet, whatever planet that thing came out of <laughs> needs to go back to Star Trek. <laughs> The next that, generation? Oh, no, Voyager. Man. No, Voyager that's how. Game. Yeah, that's how future. Voyager. That was, okay, that was futuristic. I that was just like. Sound. <laughs> I was like, I hope nobody heard that. Okay. I did. You did. Hear I did. That. All right. Yes. You need futuristic <laughs> medicine for what that was. All right. Well, I'm a scientist, so. Uh, <laughs> what the hell was that? Do you have ugly, funky feet? Try our new product. <laughs> Slow grow. What is it growing? <laughs> you said funky feet. <laughs> I mean, obviously, if your foot's funky, it's got some kind of fungus or athlete's foot on it but or something. No. What was the title of the product? Slow grow. <laughs> So that person will slowly grow additional fungus on their foot. That's what that sounds like. Slow, slow grow. grow. No. That is that is not a great marketing <laughs> strategy. <laughs> no. <laughs> that was random as hell. All I kept thinking, like, well, what's going to grow? What's, what's... There was a couple times where you was talking, and I just hope I wasn't breathing into the mic. Like... If you were breathing. Here we go. Action. On October 19th. <laughs> 